with Gen AI, testing is a significant area which is getting disrupted. Across the board. And all aspects of testing, all the way from unit to functional to integration to the UI testing to end-to-end testing, performance testing, scale testing, across the board, Gen AI is really having a massive impact. Whether you're a seasoned engineer or climbing up the ladder, there are always questions that come up. Asim Razak, founder of Yodascale and a leader at companies like PayPal and eBay, has lived them, survived them, and is here to share to help you get where you want to go. Stay tuned and check out the show notes for how to submit your questions for future episodes. Hello, everyone. I am Asim Razak. And in this episode of Always an Engineer, I'm excited to welcome Shalish Kumar. Shalish has a pretty storied background. He is currently SVP CTO at ClickUp. Prior to this, he ran engineering teams at uh, MuleSoft and at Tableau. He has a knack for coming in at the time when you are really at that inflection point where scale is needed. So he has gotten the process down on how to hire, how to scale teams, how to bring in the SDLC process, and a lot of the challenges that hyperscale companies go through. They're not, in my experience, I mean, I've been around quite a bit as well. There's not many people who do this at scale really well. So I think he's, he's definitely cornered that skill. So in today's podcast, as you guys have noticed, the last few podcasts have been more around generative AI, LLM. And of course, the reason is that this is the need of the hour. It is an inflection point. A lot of stuff is happening there. And the topic that we are going to cover today is the future of software testing in the generative AI era. Because many, many disciplines as it comes to software engineering are changing rapidly. And software testing is one of those where, one, leaders have to really figure out how are they going to approach this? What are they going to do to change? And people who are automation engineers, test engineers, if you're in the audience listening to this, you should pay a lot of attention to this because it's very, very important to figure out how do you retool, reskill, realign with, with the future here. So, Shalish, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Asim. Awesome. So I think as you and I were talking about last week when we were brainstorming about the different topics, you seem very passionate about this particular piece, which is the software testing piece of it. So maybe let's start with what you have tried and what success you've seen when it comes to the application of LLMs and Gen AI. I mean, let's just start there. Like your journey at ClickUp uh, will be very helpful. So give a little bit of background. As Asim was saying, I've, in most of my career, at least last 12 of 12 years of my leadership career, I've focused on scaling organizations. And a significant portion of scaling an organization is helping figure out your SDLC process. Now, outside of hiring and recruiting people, it's figuring out how do you build software at scale? And building software at scale, you know, there are many portions of it. One of them is coding. And I think Copilot and others are doing a great job at already marketing themselves. So I, I think I'm not going to talk about that. But a significant portion falls on the quality of the product. Because many a times, believe it or not, what happens is when you go in a company which is about to hit scale, they are having quality issues. And quality issues can range from scale issues or performance issues or functional quality issues because you know, it's a journey of every startup. They go and try to build something as fast as possible and they prove their product to the market and they find product market fit and they start to scale and they hit their challenge of scale. And especially that's where they figure out that their quality of the product needs to be scaled up. And 
testing becomes a big bottleneck for most of the companies. And many of the times I've seen, I mean, of course, we all know automated testing is great, but automated testing takes a lot of time to build. And in order to scale, a lot of people start just you know, hiring a lot of people, hiring manual QA, dividing QA between, you know, for all the way from unit functional integration and performance testing, hiring specific experts. And suddenly, believe it or not, most of the companies end up having a very, very large QA organization. Now that becomes a challenge of its own and you have to manage it and go from there. What has happened recently is that with Gen AI, testing is a significant area which is getting disrupted. Across the board. And all aspects of testing, all the way from unit to functional to integration to the UI testing to end-to-end testing, performance testing, scale testing, across the board, Gen AI is really having a massive impact. Both by the number of companies, like number of startups that are coming to reinvent and re-innovate this area, and also the number of technologies that I'm seeing being used across the board, including at ClickUp. Like for all the way from unit test, we have different we are using different tools which use Gen AI models to generate unit tests for us to all the way from functional tests. So every aspect I'm seeing Gen AI being applied or Gen AI tools being applied to generate tests. Now, the quality of tests, what I've seen is varies depending on tools because it is the quality of tests is very dependent on LLMs, their underlying LLM. And what I've seen is as we have experimented with different products and POCs, I did a POC with them. The quality was very different. The tricky, the interesting bit was that the same product had a bad quality for me, but I know someone and the same product had a great quality of test for them. So mm-hmm. I, that was a big learning for me as we were doing a lot of POCs that all these tools that use Gen AI and LLMs right now are very specific to the type of product that you're going to test. So you will have to do a lot of POCs to figure out which one would work right for you because the they all have different LLMs, different underlying models, and yet no one exposes their models. So you have to literally go and trial and error and see which one works for you. I see, I see. So what's the impact, right? When you look at the whole container of testing, there's unit testing, you said there's functional testing, there's performance, scale testing. Where have you seen the biggest bang for the buck? I think actually we are doing in all areas. So I don't think there's one area, any one area where we are seeing versus we seeing more or less. I think maybe for bank for the buck, it will be UI testing because UI testing has always been very hard. Mm-hmm. And it was a very tricky area for us. For any company which has a large UI surface, user experience mm-hmm. surface, UI testing is very diff- difficult because if your pixels move or you have content layout shift, how do you test for that? You need a human eye. Like you, mm-hmm. This is a very labor-intensive process. So that is an area where it has most bang for the buck. But I would say even in unit tests, like you know, GitHub has came with test pilot. There are other tools out there where you can generate unit tests without having to worry about it. So it becomes very quick to and the unit test that gets generated from like the test pilot is really good. If they are point on point, you have to fill in few some more business logic, but really good. There's no reason to not have unit tests. And that gives you a lot of coverage. And then if you look at your integration tests. We have things like we are, we are using Codium, Codium mm-hmm. AI to do integration tests. We're still in prototyping phase right now. So we are experimenting with how this would work out. But we are seeing good traction with integration tests, though it requires, in unit tests, we are seeing that you don't have to have a lot of human intervention. It's very quick and it generates, generates pretty good results. Mm-hmm. Integration tests, I think it is still, the quality is not there. Yeah. So 
either test generated, there is both human intervention for the person that either there's that or the developer who's writing it, the integration test, they have to go and modify quite a few things. So that's an area that I'm seeing less, less bang for the buck, so as to say. In terms of UI testing, we're using Apply tools. That is doing well. I think Sorry, what, what is that again? It's Apply tools. Apply tools, okay. It's doing well for us. We kicked off, we did a POC and we kicked off the project. Uh, I think it's working out well for us. We will see how still early. We're in two, three months in. So I would say still very early. Most of the products or most of the tools that I've talked about for testing, they're all like six or nine months in. Right. Very new area. Where so you're a cottage to- industry of a bunch of startups that is building capabilities on this. Right. Got it. And I think it is, it's still an area being disrupted. And I would highly recommend that any, any leader to really look at your testing methodologies and see what will work for you. So the only tricky part, which I have heard from my uh, few of the folks that I've talked to is that larger companies are having harder time getting security clearances or uh, getting their security teams sign off on many of these products because your data goes out of your systems or off mm. your device. So it is definitely a challenge to get security team to sign off on it. That's the one thing I've constantly heard. I'm right. sure hopefully things will get settled there, but I think that will continue to be a challenge. Got it. So, I mean, if you pick one, maybe let's pick a simple area, right? Maybe we'll pick two. So unit testing. So how was the process before and how is it now? And what have you seen the impact to be? Let's get roll up our sleeves a little bit. So like, if you look at unit tests, what used to happen is a developer writes a a code, Uh have a PR, and let's say they're introducing, let's say they're introducing commenting functionality in the code. They create a comments object, figure out how do you create the CRUD APIs, figure out different business logics of uh, interaction. If two people are writing comments at the same time, how do you read it, implement WebSockets, builds the PR or writes those functionalities. Then what they would do is they would go and write unit tests, depending on if you're writing in Node or Java or whatever language it is, you will go and write unit tests for most of your public APIs and many of your private APIs. Mm -hmm. Typically what used to happen is that if a PR takes you, let's say a day or two days to write, it is. It would typically probably take 25-30% of your time to write unit tests. So there was a unit testing tax. Yes. There was, there's always a unit testing tax. And there's like this industry-wide debate of is unit test helpful or not? Should mm-hmm. we always write integration tests or functional tests? There is, like, I'm not going to get into yeah. it, but yeah. there was always, and then you would always hear pushback from many developers that I won't write functional tests or unit tests are not providing because unit test does mock up a lot of things, right? You, you should, in order to you write a unit test for a function, you have to mock the yeah. environment, you have to mock other objects. So mm-hmm. then, like, okay, if the function, your function size is small, then unit, unit test is not really exercising much of the code. It's not, like, sure, it will make sure that you don't have regressions, but over a period of time, unit tests tend to, I've heard enough debates that unit test tax, as you called it, is debatable. The value mm-hmm. now what I'm seeing is that 25-30% is reduced like five, maybe even 10, like maybe 10%, but definitely much less RAM and no one complaining about it. The biggest one is it's when you think same scenario, write comments, you created a comment object, wrote or uh, had the CRUD APIs for comments, implemented web sockets and all those good things. You can go and let's say we use test pilot, you can just generate unit tests, and it is really good. It generates tests, it generates unit tests for all of your CRUD APIs, all the public APIs, 
you can annotate the private APIs for which he wants to, and it does it for them. They're very spot on. Mm. Very spot on. So after that, you have to go and review the unit test to see which ones you want to change. If you want to change a specific business logic, it takes much less time, like an hour. If you've been with a, if you created a PR for a day or two, generating unit tests and doing something does not take more than 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So the tax has reduced significantly that it's become a no-brainer to do it, especially with these AI tools. So that's where it, it has helped significantly. The developer, the developers are much happier doing this using GenAI tools, and it has increased test coverage or code coverage so as to say significantly. Maybe this is a little bit tangent. I mean, is TestPilot part of Copilot or is this a different product? It is a different product, but it is part of uh, part of that thin suit suite of product. Right? Yeah, there are other also, like we, we experiment with Tab9. There's another product called Tab9. Yeah. It has unit integration, the unit tests in two. I think there is enough in the market I mean, GitHub is early here because it has Copilot, Testpilot, and a bunch of other tools. But there are, I'm sure that in the next six months, there'll be many other unit tests. Yeah. I think where I was going with this, at least in my mind, is that ultimately, if you're using something like Copilot to generate code, then it would be pretty straightforward for it to generate the unit test. Like, you don't even have to tell it anything. It knows the code. It's the one that generated. And of course, you're giving it some guidance and tweaking things here and there. And then once the system is aware of all of the subsystems, right? I mean, it can generate functional tests. And so it seems like perhaps, is it fair to say that's where stuff is headed in that direction? That once you have, do you I mean, I guess let me put it a different way. Do you see place for a number of different players for in the long term? Or is this going to be more around you have something like GitHub Copilot, you're starting there, it's doing a bunch of stuff already it already has an advantage of context. You don't have to give it a lot of context. And so it might as well do a bunch of stuff and take you all the way. And then there's this consolidation because we see this in a lot of these trends, right? That there's a cottage industry that happens and then there's a huge consolidation that happens to simplify the process. I think think we're still going through the fragmentation right now. Okay. Consolidation, but I think it'd be a few years out out from that. Because keep in mind, so Copilot will be very good at unit tests. But the moment you go outside of that in integration tests or UI testing, it's still it's nowhere close to what other companies are able to do. So there is more innovation happening. Yes. Copilot in other areas of testing, like even performance testing, which eventually, I mean, Microsoft or someone, one of these vendors will acquire many of these and build an end-to-end test suite. Because even for us, yeah, for every every aspect of tests, imagine that I have a different tool. Yeah, that's what I meant, right? Because exactly, right? I, think I, I hear you on the co-pilot piece, but if all of the subcomponents that need to integrate together were generated to co-pilot, it already has that context about all the subcomponents, yeah. right? So you don't need to really teach it too yeah. much to stitch it together. That's sort of the thought I had, and maybe UI is a different aspect, and now you could argue. Even, with I would say even with UI, I would assume GitHub will probably make some acquisitions in near future. I'm sure that these companies will get consolidated. The different aspects right. of testing will get consolidated, but I think we are probably a year or two years out from that. Yeah. That's but, but again, things are moving faster than I had thought, so you never know. No, of course, of course. I think there's a, there's a lot going on there. Uh, so, I mean, you mentioned UI testing, right? That's always been the bane of a lot of people's existence, right? Because it's even more so the decay is much faster in terms of your testing. 
Yeah. Right. So half life of your test is very short because you did it, and then if you're trading really, really fast, then you know the test is not quite valid anymore. So how is LLM and generative AI helping counter that problem? As you said, you need a human eye, and you know you need to still look at okay, the, the button move or the pixel moved or something regressed or not. So we use AppTools. I think it is doing a decent job of capturing any shifts, even small shifts in your different elements on the UI. But again, if your UI is changed, then I don't think AppTools helps. But generally, what AppTools has helped us is to catch regressions. So let's say we are building different parts. At the end of it, we are share a lot of components, UI components on the UI. So if there is someone made a UI component change in another page, if it makes change on, on another page which was not intended, that's where AppTools is able to catch it. Okay. When you have, in order to build, when you're building a new UI, then you have to have tools generate some tests for you, but you have to assume that the UI is good and then just make sure that there are no regressions happening with UI testing. Because even for us, what we do is we have a build check team. We have a QA team in Argentina, which is which does build checks for us. It means that we have a weekly release process at the end of a week, all the PRs go in, and then there is actually a set of manual tests that is run to make to look visually, to run through a lot of test cases visually to make sure that they are good. A lot of them are getting automated as we are automating a lot of those things, but still the visual aspect is we still lean on that team to make sure that visually it looks, it looks correct. And that's where we are seeing that AppTools is able to provide a lot of value to make sure that we are not regressing anything. Because keep in mind, like it's not that you're changing your UI all the time. The UI refreshes, the UI changes are rare, it happens maybe once a year, or I mean, different pages have different frequency. And that's where a lot of these tools help because it is a very human-intensive work, UI testing. Yeah, to me, that's I understand that the larger body of your UI is not changing, but new new pages are coming up quite quite a bit, right? If there are new capabilities, features that you're, you're bringing in. So I guess one thing that our audience might not be 100% clear on is, you know, what's the line between automation? Because automated testing has been there forever, right? And yeah. what is LLM? So in, in UI testing, how are LLMs being leveraged? Like, what are they doing? So the way LLMs, I'm assuming, I don't know how the internal side of the tools works. So I'm just yeah, yeah, I'm not saying like go into the deep into the thing, but we're all familiar with GPT-4. I mean, at least that's a base level that most people can agree to, right? Like I understand, I give it a conversational question, you know, something comes back and underneath that, there's this large language models that can cluster, that can group, that can do natural language understanding. So how are those concepts being applied into UI testing? So what, the way I understand it is that the UI, in UI testing, it is able to understand different elements of the UI. And based on that, it can accommodate for some shifts based on how they are structured. Mm-hmm. Now, that's where they're using LLMs in different weights that, okay, if you have, let's say, different elements have different weights. And that's what I'm saying is that you have to figure out which UI testing tool will work for you because we tried another one that didn't work out. The results were not good. So if you take a page, we want to make sure that there are some changes in the page, the UI regression testing should be able to accommodate. Mm-hmm. To have false alarms, like the page cannot look exactly the same. So for example, we made a color change in one of the tabs. It should be fine. It shouldn't, it shouldn't yeah. raise the flag that you made a color change. And that's where I'm assuming that they're using some generative AI LLMs to have weights on different elements of what amount of changes they're able to accommodate. And they learn from different UI. What is the UI 
good UI look like? Are they aligned? Because I've seen that Aptic tools, when your buttons are not aligned, it flags it out. Like if they're not aligned in a, you know, if they're, let's say they're coupled multiple tabs or they're multiple buttons, they're not aligned in a single row and they're off by a few pixels, it'll flag it to you. Right. Assuming that there is some training that has happened there to flag that all the buttons should be aligned on a single single column. Yeah, it has a good sense of, hey, here is what good looks like. And then yeah. if you steer from this, and then it's kind of learning over time yeah. if, if that boundary I'm, is shifting. That's where I'm assuming they've used Gen AI to teach that what a good UI looks like. Right. And I'll go from there. But again, that's my guess at this point. It's all of our guesses at this point, right? Because some, some of these things tend to be a little bit of a black box. So if, if people... Leaders like you in your shoes or, you know, engineering leads, they want to get their hands dirty, right? They have not quite jumped with two feet into this software testing, generative AI piece of it. What's your advice? Like, where should they start? Because it sounds from what you said, there's a ton of companies that have sprung up that are doing all these different aspects of this, right? And the, the general challenge with engineering teams <laughs> having run those, I know is that they're always, always strapped for time, right? There isn't enough bandwidth. So like how many POCs are we going to do? How many prototypes are we going to do? Doesn't the existing way of doing things, this is good enough, right? Let the the industry evolve a little bit. Let some of the consolidation happen. So one, what's your answer to that? And two, like given that the market is shifting daily, and more companies are coming up. Like, how should if they want to go approach this? Is how should they go about it, and where should they start? I would say, in to start with, unit tests are no brainer. Like in my okay. mind, this is absolutely no brainer. They should people should even think about it because most of the company already have Copilot or some version of it. I'm like sure, just use test pilot or something else. But unit test is a very sim- simple lift, and the results are pretty good. Okay. Outside, of that, and if you're not using Copilot, then good luck. No, you can you can still the test file. Yeah. No, what I mean is like you should already be doing some base level stuff, right? Okay. I'm assuming that people are using some level of code generation. If you're not right. using Pilot, forget AWS has something else for code gen. People are most of the developers are already generating code. Either they're generating code based on the tools that the company has provided them, or they're taking they're generating code and copy-pasting it in the production environment. I can tell you everyone's generating code. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So from that perspective, unit test is a no-brainer. I think unit tests everyone should be doing. Outside of that, I think integration test is another area which people should try to tackle and see if it benefits. UI testing is pretty further off. I would avoid UI testing to just jump in because it requires a lot more heavy lifting. Speaking and experimenting and, okay, so integration testing, so unit testing, no-brainer, integration testing, maybe the next thing to look at. And then, I mean, as you get, as folks get comfortable with the value it provides, you get go from there, okay, then you can go to UI testing or API testing, very specific, or or go from there to load test and performance test. But I think integration test is a good place to start after unit test. But again, if... if People still want to start with at least one unit test is a no-brainer. Yeah. Because that gets, that gets even developers comfortable about generating tests. And once they see the value of tests getting generated, I'm sure the developers are going to ask for more tests to be generated. Yeah. Is that the path you guys took? We took that path. So we had test generation for the unit test first. 
And after that, we just went all in because everyone was like, yeah, this big total sales. Like, why wouldn't we do that? Yeah. There was like the biggest thing was how much time we have to do POCs, like different POCs. And we have a, we had a QA manager. It was great. And he did a lot of POCs by himself and narrowed it down. So it helped. But I think after unit test, I got, a, I got across the board. I got from developers that, yeah, why not? Doesn't make a lot of sense to do yeah. this. Right. Of course, so I think from here, let's shift to the the challenging topic, which is if I'm a QA engineer or a test automation engineer right now, and I'm listening to this, of course, I'm going like, okay, this seems to be doing a lot of the stuff that I was doing. So what gives? And I think in, in our discussion, you had mentioned the challenging job of letting go some QA folks and one in specific asked you, okay, what do I do? And so it would be great to share that advice. Like, what is the advice for people who've spent, maybe they're early in their career, but some people have spent 15 years honing in the art of QA automation testing. So how do they realign themselves with this new tech world order? I think one, I, don't, I won't, I've had QA folks push back on the quality of tests that will get generated and the intervention and the false positive that will come out. See, at the end of it, sure, there are, the quality might be lower right now, but look one year out, it will go higher. It will go better. So it just there's no point fighting this. And that's to the, just you have to accept that it will be easier after that. So once you realize that even if the quality is not extremely high right now, within one year, the quality will be very high and it will take away a lot of uh, things that, were, that could be generated. The, so the don't fight I, the trend. Don't uh, yes. push back unnecessarily. Don't dig in your heels because this stuff is moving fast. It is moving fast. There are a lot of very smart people invest innovating in this area. And this is possible. If you think from a purely computer science perspective, it is possible. So if it is possible, it will get done. Mm-hmm. There will be smart people who will figure out how to improve the quality of it. And, and we will get to a pretty good place. It's actually moving much faster than what we had anticipated, as we've seen in the last 6 to 12 months. Mm-hmm. So... If you don't find it, the biggest one is, I think people, anyone who is in QA, they should adopt these tools and become experts on specific areas that, okay, how can I use Gen AI tools to supercharge the testing of any product? So for example, if you go to any team, like I haven't heard any development team or any product team say that, oh, we have a lot of testing. Like I, just, I haven't heard anyone say that I have a lot of testing. So everyone is like, okay, we have either their code coverage, or the test coverage is not very high, or they're like, okay, we are we don't have enough QA people to test the amount of code changes that we are pushing in. There's always a lack of more testing that can be done. So if you can use and be experts of the Gen AI tools and help get expertise on how to get do more, like generate more tests or do more testing, cover more cover cover more area, it'll be a significant advantage. And you'll become experts because that's where the trend is going. So these will also require administration. Like all these tools will require administration, understanding of the product, of how it uses these products, what looking at a product, which likely product, like for, for example, different UI products will have better results with different type of UI testing tools. So if you're an expert in this area, you will be able to advise better and work with these better in terms of how can I use, let's say, Apple tools or Tab9 tab to generate a lot of tests put their infrastructure in place. So I would say adopt it. That's the advice I gave to someone who was, who was leaving us. They adopted 
become expert in this and it will serve them well in their career. So, the, I mean, the question would be how they could have adopted it at ClickUp. So what stopped that? I think at ClickUp, we were still early. We were figuring out what to do and we already we didn't have enough bandwidth for X number of people that we had. Right. And we're also moving moving from US, from yeah. other outside of US. So it was a combination of that. Yeah, so, but that goes to the heart of the problem that they're not going to be jobs for how many... So let's, for the sake of discussion, say there is 100 QA people yep. right now that do stuff conventionally, traditionally. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to have 100 jobs where somebody can come in because by design, the point is that with the assist of all of these tools, you don't need Many all of that, right? So I don't know what the number is. Maybe it's 10, 15, 20, whatever the number is. Yeah. That means 80%, 70%. Again, this isn't scientific. No, but you're right. You're right. Right? So what happens to those people? Like, what do they, like, because yes, everybody can get up to speed on this, but they're not going to be enough jobs out there of the requirement in testing. 100%. Now, there are two paths someone can take there. One, either you can become an expert in the area and you can be the 20, 30% of that 100 people right. and uh, go from there. Or you will have to learn different skills. Like you'll have to learn different skills either in terms of coding, like developing software or product management, like some other skill, because I think this the skill itself is not, just QA itself is not going to be, just QA itself will not be very valuable. You'll have yeah. to walk. You can be a very expert performance tester because even in QA, if you think about it, there are performance QA, like people who specialize in performance testing mm-hmm. only. I think those you people will have to learn more skills, like just more skills in order to survive the trend. Otherwise, it will be it will become difficult. Yeah, and and I think the performance will have the same fundamental problem, right? Because that's going to shrink also because what you can, you're going to be able to do with generative AI is a lot more than how many people it can absorb. And then coding is a challenge, right? Because that whole thing is changing. I mean, software developers who've had 15, 20 years of experience, I mean, they are having a, I mean, facing an interesting... I, could, I think the, the before Gen AI, you could lean on your experience. Your experience weighed may, way more, like, someone with 10 years of experience could carry that experience and generate much deeper and richer software and have much deeper design thinking. But with generative AI, the value that you're bringing in with 10 years of experience has gone down. Right. Because the generative AI tools can give you those deep design thinking that someone with 10 years of experience would bring in the table. So the number of number of principal engineers and staff engineers you need on a ratio perspective is probably not that high. You don't need that many anymore. So that's, and that's worrying for both of us, but that's just the reality of it. It's interesting. I mean, it's almost like there is a pretty steep experience inflation going on, right? What your experience was worth yes, <laughs> years yes. ago, three years from now, it's not going to be worth hardly as much. And, and I think just to kind of, on the, on the inspirational front, right? I think what, you're, what I'm hearing is that if you're open to adopting these technologies, trying to figure out how do you find a niche you know, the it looks like the where you can build a career is things like domains, right? If you're in fintech or if you're in uh, healthcare or if you're in GovTech, I mean, those domains, they're not going to just be like Genia comes in and just all of a sudden can do the same thing in every every single 
at least that's some of the advice that I have given to people who are. That's about right. That's about right because those domains cannot be this generative AI is taking some of the system thinking, design thinking, and bringing them like simplifying it or bringing them so that you don't need that many people. But the domain expertise it doesn't still doesn't have it. The domain expertise that you bring it still stays. Uh, yeah, you need interdisciplinary thinking, thinking, right? So you can be a strong test engineer that has amazing Gen AI chops in the fintech context. Yes. You have to kind of overlap a lot of this stuff because if you don't, then if you're just a general QA engineer, that's where this stuff is going to rip out. That's why you have to have multiple skills now. Same as developers also. Even developers will need to have multiple skills. The That's where probably the years of experience is not matching up because people with years of experience had deep expertise in a specific area. And that deep expertise is not as worth as it was maybe two years back. So you now... Right. And you're saying it's deep systems expertise, right? The engineering principles and all that. Not like, hey, I was in cybersecurity for this long and I understand security at the back of my hand. So yeah, I mean, I think that's... It's interesting times to be here and certainly people graduating out of college. It's an opportunity as well, right? Because to them, a lot of this stuff might come more naturally and people who might resist it a lot, you know, that's where the challenge would be. So... Uh, I guess that's the message to the audience is like, hey, adopt this, lean into it, do this before it's, it gets done for you, right? Which yes, is sure. the situation you want to be in. Shalesh, we're about out of time. This has been uh, quite exciting, inspiring. Where can people uh, follow you, learn more about your work? Any any pointers? I'm on LinkedIn. You can look me up on LinkedIn. I put a lot of posts around things that our team is doing, things that we are doing. That's where to follow me. Yeah, and you're active on the circuit as well, like engineering leadership and uh, a bunch of other forums that obviously we've crossed paths as well. Shalish, this has been great. Thank you for your time. And we hope to have you uh, on again in the future. Yes, happy to. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, just visit alwaysanengineer.org.